We are in a series of messages from the, the, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And some have said that this book is kind of a memoir of Nehemiah's experiences as a cupbearer in, in, in Persia, for Persia, the Persian king Artaxerxes, or that it are a memoir for the rebuilding of the walls and gates of Jerusalem. And his, also he was the governor. So we're going to learn all of this as we continue to study this book. But it's a great, great book. And the title of our series is Rebuild, Rebuild. And all of us at some point could probably use a little bit of a rebuild. And today we're going to talk about building a legacy, building a legacy. When you talk about legacy or inheritance, uh, inheritance is probably the word that we're most familiar. And here's what an inheritance is. It's just property passed on, things of value, upon the owner's death to the heir. So whatever we have, we, as an inheritance, pass on to the next generation. Now, sometimes we might confuse or kind of intermingle the two words of inheritance and legacy. But legacy is, a, is, is different. Legacy is anything that is handed down from the past from an ancestor or a predecessor. Now, the word anything is really important that we would latch on to that word this morning. You see, Nehemiah, his rebuild of the walls and gates of Jerusalem is a legacy. And that legacy will last for centuries, about five centuries of time. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, look at what we read. Then I said to them, and this is now, you have to understand, he's come to Jerusalem, he's expected the, the difficulties of the, of the broken down walls, and here's what we read, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me, and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Pray with me. Lord, I pray in these next few moments you would speak encouragement and life and hope and help to us from your word. We ask this in your name. Amen. There's a phrase that I've used probably over the last 30 years or so. And it's very appropriate for today. The heritage that you have been handed the heritage you have been handed is not as important as the legacy you leave. Now, admittedly, Nehemiah has been handed, he's been given a heritage. That heritage is broken walls and burned gates. In fact, we've, we've said it numerous times already in these past few weeks that he refers to what's happening in Jerusalem as trouble and disgrace. There's all kinds of difficult. That's the heritage that he has been given. And then Nehemiah challenges the people. He said, here's what's going on. And the people respond, let's start building. And then in 52 days, they're going to complete this enormous project. And it's a legacy that they, they've been given a heritage, but now they have built a legacy that will last for centuries of time. And here is an important phrase to catch. That which outlives a person defines to others 
what that person values. One more time, that which outlives a person defines to others what that person values. Now, when you look at the walls, you say, well, what kind of value is there? Remember, they've been referred to as being in trouble and disgrace. There's danger because there's no protection for the city. There's so many things, and they valued that, but they valued taking away the trouble and disgrace, and that would last for centuries. That is their legacy. In chapter 3 of Nehemiah, verses 1 to 32, is where, we, is where we're going to spend our time. And we're not going to read the entire passage for a number of reasons. One, it's a list. It's a list, and that list is very interesting, and we're going to talk about that real quickly. It's the first of seven different lists that Nehemiah, that we're going to see in the book of Nehemiah. And one of the time, one of the things that I think you probably have discovered in reading the scriptures, when you come to a list of names, you just kind of blow through those names really fast, and, and maybe not give a whole lot of consideration to what's there. Well, I want you to understand something. There are seven lists of names in the book of Nehemiah. Locations, responsibilities. Now hear this. The lists are not a dull recital of forgotten names. They preserve the story of heroic people who played their part in the continuity of the people of God. These are real people in real places in real time. I liken it to my high school yearbook, for example. Now, if I were to pull out my, if you came over to my house and I said, hey, I want you to, I want you to take a look at this. You'd take that yearbook in hand and you would open it and you would see names, you would see faces, you would see activities of people that are absolutely insignificant to you. But they're not insignificant to me. I have memories connected to names and faces. I can take you to particular accounts and occasions by, by, that has been captured by the photographers. It's meaningful to me. So when these names are listed, there's meaning here. This, this is significant. These are real people, real places. They're contributing to something amazing for generations to come. And you know, what it tells me, what it tells me, that their contributions are forever remembered by God, forever. And they are immortalized in Scripture. And don't, don't minimize your contribution to the kingdom of God. You say, but Gary, I'm just, I'm just a regular guy. I'm just a regular gal. I don't have a whole lot. Oh, no, 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 no. Not in the eyes of God. You, as Peter would say, you are are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly works, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. You are significant in the eyes of God. Everything that you do for the kingdom of God, for God, as you live your life for the Lord is significant. And God remembers that contribution. And I look at these lists in that same, in that same vein. Is that these are significant folks and need to be remembered 
for all of their contribution to the things of God. And, and so through this passage of Scripture, <clears throat> there are some very powerful lessons we gain about building a legacy. And I'm going to give you eight observations this morning. The first one is this, is godly priorities. Godly priorities. Now, when you begin to read chapter 3, you're going to see names again, names and places and responsibilities that are taking place. And, and you start out with the priests and the rebuilding of the sheep gate. You go, wow, wow, that's, ex- that's exciting. <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing. I don't believe it's coincidence. I believe Nehemiah, in, as he's writing this occasion of the rebuild of the walls and gates, he starts with the sheep gate. You say, but Gary, what is the significance of that? The sheep gate was the gate closest to the temple. And the sheep gate was where the animals were brought to the temple in the worship of the Lord. Why is that significant? Because this shouts to me of this thought. Put God first. Godly priorities. I can't think of anything of greater significance than living our lives, putting God first for a legacy that we would leave to a generation to follow us. If it were said of me and if it were said of you that the one thing that characterized this guy's life or this gal's life was that they they dedicated themselves to the Lord. They put God first. Now, I wonder, do our lives reflect that value? Familiar scriptures speak to this very issue. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 2, set your minds on things above, not earthly things. Sometimes we look at these verses and they're so familiar to us, we, we just run right by them. We don't let them get deep into our hearts, but there is such truth here. In establishing godly priorities in our life, that's going to leave a legacy for generations to come. The the truth of putting God first is an imperative in building a legacy. For a legacy to be built, put God first. The second observation this morning... Or deep relationships. Deep relationships. There's a man in the 16th century. His name was John Haywood. John Haywood, you might not know his name, but you're going to know this. You ever heard this phrase? Many hands make light work. There it is. John Haywood. He's the guy. He's the guy responsible for that. But it's such a true statement. Such a true statement. And what you read as you go through chapter 3, you're going to see words like next to him and next to him and next to him and next to him. There's this this chronicle, as it were, of all of the people who are working together to build, to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the gates. Many hands make light work and how evident it is when you look at this passage. In fact, 24 different times do you see those phrases, next and next to him. And it just underscores the value of deep relationships. No one could build this wall by themselves. It wasn't going to happen just with Nehemiah. It was going to require so many people investing in this amazing project. 
And what's really cool when I think about it is they did it in 52 days when they were told it couldn't be done, essentially. Here's a phrase that you may be familiar with. I've used it on numerous occasions. Everything in life rises and falls on the quality of our relationships. And that is an absolute true statement. And I might suggest everything means everything. Whether it's the rebuilding of a wall or the rebuilding of a marriage, a relationship, a life, a family, a career. You and I proceed in life at our own peril if we do it in isolation. I, I'm not, I'm not going to be as good in this life if I do this by myself, nor will you, nor will we. Relationships are critical. And the way that we build our relationships, rebuild our relationships, we're leaving a legacy for the generation to come. Regardless of the heritage that you've been handed, we can rebuild, we can rebuild a relationship, we can rebuild our lives with the help of our Savior into a life that honors Him, puts Him first, and then leaves an extraordinary legacy. Paul, the Apostle Paul was an amazing leader. He was a gifted teacher and writer and missionary and so many, the church planner. He did so many things. Listen to what he writes, Colossians chapter 4. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my... Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Understand, none of us, none of us was meant to live only to ourselves. Paul makes it very clear. It is people. It is relationships that have made all the difference in the ministry to which God has called him. So I would ask you, who are the significant people in your life that are walking with you, building in you, holding your feet to the fire, praying for you. Don't live in isolation. For a legacy to be built, for a legacy to be built, nurture deep relationships. The third observation is exceptional uniqueness. Exceptional uniqueness. As you read through Nehemiah 3, you discover at least four individuals with the same name. Okay. Now you think, well, okay, what's, what's the point of that? Well, catch this. Two persons with the same name building on the wall, while they have the same name, they're not the same person. They're not the same person. They have, ready, they have contrasting personalities, complementary abilities, and distinctive gifts. Now, I was thinking back as I was preparing this particular point. I was thinking back to other people that I knew who, who had my name. Now, I'm not talking Jones. That would be an impossibility. There's a whole lot of us, okay? But Gary, all right, my first name, Gary. 
and I remember one guy, and we were completely different. Although, if we were standing next to each other, and somebody said, hey, Gary, we'd both answer. That doesn't mean that we're the same. We're very different people. Very different gifts. Very different personalities. And that is so important when we think of the, of the kingdom of God and your contribution, my contribution to the kingdom of God. You see, God has created us unique. And our individual gifts are valuable to God. Just as you are. You possess things. You are able to do things that I could never do. And, and honestly, here's how I wrote it in my notes. The world does not need another Gary Jones. The world needs you in your uniqueness, in your gifts, your abilities, your personality, your sense of humor, the qualities of your life. Listen to what, again, the Apostle Paul helps us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but they're all from the same spirit. There are different ways to serve, but the same Lord to serve. There are different ways that God works through people, but the same God. God works in all of us in everything that we do. And then 1 Peter chapter 4, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. For a legacy to be built, celebrate the uniqueness of God's gifts in your life. Don't try to don't try to say, I want to be like that. No, be whom God has created you to be. Also, this observation of dedicated service, de- uh, sacrifice, excuse me, dedicated sacrifice. When you read the story of this rebuilding project in this particular chapter, here's what you discover. You discover people from eight of the surrounding communities of Jerusalem. Then you say, well, okay, what is, what is the significance of that? The significance of that is that these, in, these eight groups of people will never have really a tangible benefit of a rebuilt wall because they live out in rural communities, little maybe little villages or farms or other pieces of property outside of Jerusalem. And so the rebuild of the wall really isn't going to benefit them directly, directly. But they sacrifice time away from their livelihoods, their families, and their communities to rebuild the wall. Dedicated sacrifice. I love that. Over the years, I've had the honor and the privilege of serving with so many amazing people. And I, I can, I have just rush, even as, I'm, even as I'm speaking right now, I have just a rush of memories of just amazing folks that I've had the privilege of, of knowing and serving alongside them whether it was in sacrificial giving or whether it was just the people who just showed up all the time. They just were so faithful. It's an incredible thing to remember and to recall. And what I thought about this is that they did this really with no, no tangible benefit back to them. It was just serving the Lord, serving the Lord. And for example, they would pray or they would give to missions. And it was great to hear Nicole's update this morning. They would, they would pray for missions. They would pray for missionaries. They would give to, to places they would never visit, for people they would never meet or ever see. A sacrifice. Now, I've told this story numerous times, and I'm going to tell it many more times before my time is done, just because of the power and truth of the story. 
we were pastoring in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, and there was a, an elderly lady, a part of our church. Her name was Marie. And Marie was a, a delightful, a delightful lady. She was, uh, even when I was there, she was probably in her mid to late 80s. And I had the privilege of doing her memorial service some years later. And she was very, she was almost deaf and she was almost blind. But I'm telling you, this was one faithful woman in prayer. She could pray. I would visit her and we would have some conversations. And she would always answer, or rather, she would always say goodbye to me and say, Pastor Gary, I'm praying for you. And I said, oh, Marie, keep praying, keep praying. Well, it was sometime later, maybe a couple of years later or so, she was now really unable to attend any longer. She was shut in her house. And uh, we had uh, formed a missions team, and we were on our way to an event, a missions event. And actually, the person who was leading that missions event was the former superintendent of the Southern California Network, Fred Cottrell. And I had the privilege of becoming very good friends with Fred over the years. Well, he was doing this, this gathering, and he was telling this story that missionaries are for the very first time able to go into a little country called Cape Verde, the Cape Verde Islands. And Mar, uh, Marie's daughter, Marge, was a part of our missions team, and she was there. And her eyes got about that. She just got like saucers. And she went and told Fred this story. She said, Pastor Fred, she said, my mother is virtually blind and virtually deaf. And she sits on her couch with her Bible open in front of her and a magnifying glass so she can read it. And a globe in front of her so she can pray for the nations of the world. And he said, and she said, I want you to understand, a few weeks ago, my mom, or a few months ago, I remember exactly the time, she said, she called me over and she said, Marge, would you please show me where the Cape Verde Islands are? She goes, what? The, I don't, okay, I'm not sure what, just find them for me. So she found them on the globe and Marie then dedicated herself to pray for the Cape Verde Islands. Don't know how long it had been going on. And so when Marge heard Fred say, for the very first time, we now have a missions presence in Cape Verde, immediately Marge said, that is, that is an answer to my mother's prayers. She has been praying faithfully for this particular little country. And what the, the part of this story you need to understand, Marie Pontus came from Portuguese background. Cape Verde spoke Portuguese. And God had put it on her heart to pray for Cape Verde. And here she is day after day after day, virtually blind, virtually deaf, laying her hands on a globe and praying sacrificially for people she would never see, never meet, to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And God answered that prayer. I'm telling you, I heard that story. I just said, oh my goodness. Dedicated, dedicated sacrifice. Matthew chapter 19, anyone who sacrifices home, family, fields, whatever, because of me, will get it all back a hundred times over, not to mention the considerable bonus of eternal life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For a legacy to be built, it will include sacrifice. There's also a powerful example. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse Number five says, the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. 
but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Notice the contrast of hard work and no work. Really, of participation and humility and pride and non-participation is what you have. You have this incredible contrast. You see, the nobles were just too proud to, to put their shoulders into, into the work that was there. The men of Tekoa provided in a great example for everybody else, but the nobles did not. That's, that would, I would say it this way. That's a legacy to be avoided. The only thing to do with that. I, when I think of an example, I think of, or when I think of example, I think of my dad. My dad, uh, under no conditions, was perfect. And he would, he would be the first one to tell you, perfect, no, and that's not me. He was a, he was a great guy. He was a funny guy. Uh, just, I could talk a long time about my father. That's not, that's not, my, that's not the point. I will tell you this. What, whatever faults dad may have had, one, one thing, he was incredible. He was an incredible example. This is a man who knew how to pray. This is a man who loved God, who loved his, his wife, who loved his children, loved his church, loved people. This is a guy, maybe there's some things I don't, I don't want from my dad from, from there. I get, I get it. I think we're all that way. But I'm telling you, there's more that I do. It was an incredible example to me and to my brother. And I will be for eternally grateful for the example he provided. Now, I could go down. That's my father. I could go down through a list of people who have provided example after example after example of their lives of faithfulness and godliness that have left a legacy. They have left a mark on my life. I'm telling you, a powerful example is something that will last for centuries. John 13 says, this is what Jesus said, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I mean, that's, that's as clear as it can be. Jesus, this is the context, he's, he's washing the disciples' feet, he's serving them. He says, do as I have done to you. First Timothy, Paul says, don't let anyone think less of you because you're young, but be an example to all the believers. I wonder, how, how is our example? How are we doing? How are we doing with that? You say, Gary, I, I don't know if I'm doing very well. I, remember, we're in a rebuild. R- right now, you can, you can turn that all around. You, you don't have to be like the nobles of Tekoa. You can be like the guys from Tekoa. Say, no, we're putting our shoulders to the task. We're going to get this done. They weren't doing it to be an example, but they ended up becoming one or being one. And I would say this morning, if there are those things that are just keeping you or, or hindering you from, from being the example that you want to be, that can change. That can change today. It can change right now. You're saying, God, forgive me for those things that I don't, I don't want to be remembered for. And help me rebuild my life in a way that honors you and that will truly provide the godly example that I desire to leave to the next generation. For a legacy to be built, set an example. Also, wholehearted service. Wholehearted service. 
you read a little bit farther in Nehemiah and come to chapter 4 and verse number 6, this is what you read. So we, we, so we rebuilt the wall to all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. I love that phrase, work with all of your heart. You know, there, there's something powerful about this. And so when you look through this story again, you see, you got you, what you begin to discover is that some of these folks working on the wall, they weren't wall builders. They were goldsmiths, perfumers, priests, merchants. These were just regular folks, just regular folks. Now, there were some professional wall builders there helping in the project. That's not the point. But the point is, it was just the service of the regular folks who dedicated themselves wholeheartedly to this incredible project. It's just ordinary folks. Ordinary folks. I think back again, it, the blessing of, of the years that I can, I can remember of those who have served, who gave themselves wholeheartedly to ministry, to the church, to people. I, I, yeah, I can't even begin to tell you how many people there are rushing through my mind. I want to be like that. I don't want to be half-hearted. I want to be wholehearted in my service to God himself. What a legacy. Maybe, maybe I won't do everything. Maybe I won't be the best guy with the trowel in my hand. Maybe I won't lay that brick exactly perfect like a professional wall builder would do. But I'm telling you, if I'm giving it everything I've got, if I have thrown myself into it 100%, something's going to happen. God's going to see my heart that I'm fully committed I'm wholeheartedly dedicated to what God has called me to be and to do. See, I, you may not have a lot of, you, you might be saying, I don't have a lot of talent, but i got a lot of heart. I don't know if you remember the movie Rudy. It's kind of a classic. Well, Rudy, Rudy Gerhoop was always, he idolized Notre Dame football. Wanted to play for Notre Dame, but he was a, not a particularly big guy, maybe not a lot of, of the kind of talent that Notre Dame would draw. Not that 5A talent. But he was able to get on the roster, kind of the practice squad, and finally, finally he was able to get into a game. It was the last game of the year. But prior to that, there's something in the movie that said, he was looking, the co one of the coaches is looking at another one of the players who has just extraordinary talent. And, and Rudy had doesn't have that same kind of talent, but man, he is throwing himself all over the field. And the coach says, if you just had the heart that Rudiger had. That's the kind of heart that we're seeing here. We're seeing goldsmiths put a trowel in their hand and lay a brick. All their hearts. Colossians 3, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As though you're working for the Lord and not for people. You see, that's the key. We're not working for people. We're working for God. For a legacy to be built, do everything wholeheartedly. Also, requires passion and enthusiasm. Ever heard of giving 110%? <laughs> sure you have. It's not possible. You, you, you can't, but you get the idea. It, it's, 
it's buy-in. It just shouts enthusiasm. I'm going to do this. It's, you know, no matter how difficult it might be, the phrase or the idiom of 110%, it means to put forth the absolute maximum effort, amount of effort, or energy possible. There were two guys in this story. One's name, and you'll forgive me for biblical pronunciation if I mess it up, all right? One guy's name is Merimuth, and the other guy's name is Meshulam. Along with the men of Tekoa, now you see these individuals in this story. Here's what they did. They built their section of the wall, but they went and built another section. What does that say? They're all in. They're 100%. They're going above and beyond. This is enthusiasm. They have bought into the mission of what Nehemiah has challenged them and what God has called them to do. They're second mile kind of people. You probably know somebody like that. They're extraordinary individuals. Just seem like they have boundless energy. Even if they don't, they just seem like they do. What a legacy to leave. Ecclesiastes 9 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Romans 12 says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. For a legacy to be built, live and and be enthusiastic. Another and last observation is active repentance. Repentance is simply defined, defined as turning from sin and turning to God. That's a real simple definition. And we all come to faith in Christ by renouncing what was and turning to God, turning away from our sin and turning to God. And when we're building a legacy, we're building a legacy, repentance is an incredible quality. And there are, again, two individuals in this story who really exemplify what I call active repentance. Malkijah and Merimuth. There's that name again. Now, how, how, do they, how do you see active repentance? Well, here it is. First of all, Malkijah is identified as the son of Haram. Now, why is that significant? If you go back 13 years to the book of Ezra, in Ezra chapter 10 and verse 31, you see the same guy. And you see, he had done something that he was forbidden to do by the law of Moses or the law of God, was to intermarry with someone outside of Israel. And Ezra confronted them to turn away from these this, this really this unholy alliance. And here's what's cool. Malkijah did. He set things right. And he walked away. He, he put away his foreign wife. And he had, made, he had made amends with God. He had repented. And now he's working on the wall. There's another guy. His name is Merimoth. He was the grandson of a priest. And that priest had also intermarried. Had intermarried. So this guy has a past. He has a past. He has a reputation that's maybe a little storied. But yet he has made things right. And here he is in the midst of this great project. And so I think about this, the past and, 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 and repentance. You know, the truth is all of us have a past. But God in his grace redeems our past and gives us a great future. I don't know if you recognize the name. Charles Colson or Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was, if you go back a, a whole lot of years now, almost 50 years, he was part of the Richard Nixon administration as President of the United States. And, and Charles Colson was implicated in the Watergate scandal during the 1972 
re-election campaign of Richard Nixon, an election campaign of Richard Nixon. And he was eventually would serve seven months in prison. Prior, he was actually waiting for his arrest. He knew it was coming. During that period of time, he came to faith in Christ. And after prayer and seeking counsel, he he went to his attorneys and said, hey, I want you to plead guilty on my behalf in this area. And so they did, and he ended up going to jail for seven months. During the time that he was in prison, he founded something called Prison Fellowship. Here's a guy who had a pass, and he was, he was quite a guy. And in some respects, I, he, was very, he was ruthless. He was a hard-charging attorney. He's going to make it happen. But God got a hold of his heart. He repented of what was, and God gave him a new future. And here he is in prison, and he sees a need, and he fills that need. And the legacy that Chuck Colson, what began then, continues today. People's lives in prison being changed because of repentance. You see, what do I mean by active repentance? I mean this, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, when we come to faith in Christ, when we turn away from what was and we turn towards God, something should happen in our life. There should be an automatic change within us, and we should begin to produce fruits out of what God has done in our life. And that's what these two individuals, Malkijah and Meshulam, and then contemporary Chuck Colson. How am I doing with that? It's one thing to turn away from God and turn excuse me, turn away from sin and turn towards God. But I want my life to be fruitful. Fruitful. That's a legacy. So for a legacy to be built, produce fruit in keeping righteous with repentance. You see, the walls of Jerusalem stood for about 500 years, so the Romans just kind of obliterated them. And that's quite a legacy. However, the qualities that we've observed, godly priorities, deep relationships, exceptional uniqueness, dedicated sacrifice, powerful example, wholehearted service, passionate enthusiasm, and active repentance are qualities that build legacy. These are qualities I want to leave the generation that follows me. So I want you to consider very quickly just these great words from Psalm 78. My people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things that we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob, established the law in Israel, which He commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. They would not be like their ancestors, stubborn and rebellious generation, whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to Him. Adam Clark in his commentary on Psalms would say this, there are as many as five generations connected in that particular passage of Scripture. The legacy that we leave will impact generations to come, maybe as many as five. God help us to build 
a legacy. So one final thought. The legacy we leave is determined by the life we live. And my prayer for you this morning is that we would build a legacy worth leaving to the generation that will follow us. Father, thank you this morning.